I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Chad, the uh, leaderboard of Augusta National, Victor Hovland, John Rahm, and now Brooks Kepka. All nodded at seven, under seven, uh, I should say, seven under with uh, the three pairs there uh, making a, a great run in day one. And I think this is key because the weather is going to get really bad. And with the rain, and we had Scott Stallings on earlier this week, he thought they would bring the course back to just the, the quote-unquote normal players. That's certainly not the case for a PGA Tour or Live Tour golfer. Um but it puts more players in range of the leaderboard. And the separation has started at the top with those three, specifically with Kepka, who has been a big point of discussion for the last couple of years when he went on that tear. And since then, we have not seen him win. And he's been going through the, the mental struggles of trying to get his game back on track. He did today, 7-under at Augusta. Colin Morikawa at 2-under par. Also, um, Scotty Scheffler, the defending champion, just birdied the 10th. He's on the 11th now, 3-under par. Jordan Spieth at 4-under. Um, I've got it up here on my computer right now. Just did something bad. I don't know what, but gave the typical Jordan Spieth frustrated reaction on an iron shot oh, yeah. that he took where he was talking with his caddy. And you could tell was not happy with the result of whatever just happened. I'll update you on that when I see it. But Spieth, Scheffler, you've got some former champions right there nipping at the and heels Scheffler, man, he, of the top of that leaderboard right now. He's now he's in the Brooks Kepka mold where he just can't lose. You expect him to win now. And just seems so relaxed. Yes. When I watch Scotty Scheffler play, I mean, it looks like he's at the local Muni just walking up and down the fairway, not a care in the world. <laughs> He's just got one of those demeanors that he does, he seems totally unfazed. I remember Brooks Kepka in the full swing, the Netflix documentary saying, uh, he said, Scotty Scheffler right now can do no wrong, keeps winning. And he said, I guarantee if you ask Scotty Scheffler, what are you thinking? His answer is absolutely nothing. He has nothing on his mind right now. He is completely free of thought as he's playing golf. And Kepka at the time was the complete opposite. He was thinking about his swing. He was thinking about a past bad shot. Well, at least for one day, first round of the Masters right now, Brooks Kepka looks like a guy who's not thinking about much. Uh, great news for Bill Self. He's back. He has no plans to retire uh, as the head coach of Kansas. He had that health scare that kept him out of the, the Big 12 and then the NCAA tournament uh, for the Jayhawks. And, you know, initially when this came down at the Big 12 tournament, it, it was very vague on what was going on. And whoever the, the coach was, Chad, that went to the podium, just said like, hey, the thoughts are with, you know, Coach Self. Hopefully everything's going to go okay. And just the way they phrase it, you're like, man, this is, this is not good. It turns out it was a heart condition. But he did speak for the first time to the media in nearly a month. And he said, to be honest, I haven't done a lot since the Big 12 tournament, but I'm exercising almost daily. I don't know if you guys believe this. They told me that I need to improve my diet and exercise more. He's joking about that. He says, but I feel fine. My energy level is probably back to where it was prior to the episode. 
but not where it's getting ready to go, I believe. I, I think sometimes we don't realize we don't feel well until we actually feel well and know the difference between that. And he's in the process of feeling well again and didn't know he was unwell to begin with. Here's hoping that uh, the return to the sidelines is not going to be an issue for that. I, I think of the, you know, just the, the anxiety, the pressure, uh, the anger. <laughs> that coaches have for officiating and, and their team or their the team they're facing. And that certainly drives up the blood pressure. And that's what yeah, I think. And of. it's, you know, look, I, I think with a lot of people, you know, you kind of do what you want for years and years or, you know, don't ever watch your diet or don't do this and that. And then you get a big scare and, you know, it either is going to scare you into, okay, now I'm doing this and I'm living this way and I'm doing all these things to take steps to not have that fear again. Or you continue doing it. It sounds to me like Bill Self is doing the latter, and he is taking the steps necessary to make sure this doesn't happen for a long time again, and he's going to get healthier. And he, he did acknowledge he's reevaluating his future, and he says he's reflecting on a lot of things because he, he was healthy. He's also a guy, by the way, who looks pretty healthy I for his age. Yeah, when you see him, like, that's not the top candidate you'd look at and say, oh, this guy's going to have some sort of cardiac episode just looking at Bill Self on the sideline during games. Yeah, man, he, you know, he helped out in practice during the tournament, but then opted not to coach during games. And he said, I was never scared that I wasn't going to be okay, but it was a different feeling. It was a, kind of like an out-of-body experience for him. So he, he decided that he didn't want to put anything in danger, just help out with the team where he could. Here's, here's hoping he's able to continue this track and he's, he's ready to go uh, moving forward with all of that. Um, from... Hoops to now the gridiron in Oregon. A lot of discussion about the Pac-12. Which programs could we see bolt? Big 12, Big 10. And the report out, Chad, that Oregon is, they're viewing themselves as the Clemson of the Pac-12, where they think the success that they can have getting into the college football playoff is worth more than taking the TV money to join a bigger, better, more lucrative conference moving forward i love it well for now i I love a program though thinking about on-field success ahead of monetary gain and finances but one feeds the other right so it's a difficult spot because ask how clemson feels the money you get in television revenue and through your conference helps you build that base to where you're constantly competing for championships if you have the right coaching infrastructure talent pool around you all those things to be a program that consistently can compete for championships. Here's the other problem with what Oregon is saying. What happens when the Pac-12 is the AAC three years from now? Yes, exactly. Because they may not be a Power 5 anymore. That's why it's a four now. Because so, yeah, you could be the Clemson of the Pac-12, mm-hmm. but the Pac-12 may be the Sun Belt before all is said and done. They may be no better than the Mountain West. So is an undefeated Mountain West team getting into a playoff right now? No. You know, might they in a 12-team playoff? Yes. Maybe. No, they would because it would be the yeah. top-ranked team yeah, of but all the other conferences. Point being, if they're not undefeated, let's say, you know, Oregon's still going to have to maybe prove more if this thing goes downhill quickly for the, the Pac-12. Well, but I also, you can't just look at it as, boy, we're in a really weak Power 5 conference because it's about to be a Power 3 or 4, and, and they're going to be out. The ACC's good, not great. And when you look at the landscape of where Clemson is in that conference compared to everyone else, I mean, there's uh, right now, I mean, have they considered Utah? I mean, 
the assumption is oh, Oregon's been there. They've done that. They're going to be the well, Colorado the, the, with Dion. But, but just in recency, just last season alone. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, man, it's not just Oregon there where you can just say, yeah, we're the team that's going to always win it because it is, it's a handful of teams that are very competitive. Plus you have Uf, USC uh, that's moving. And I think that takes away some of the luster of what Oregon always points to. Well, just looking out on the horizon, what does the Pac-12 need to do in order to not be a joke of a Power 5 conference in football? They have to keep what they have Oregon's right now. Oregon's got to be the Clemson of the conference. Yeah. they got to continue to be really good. Washington needs to continue to be a really solid program. Deion Sanders needs to knock it out of the park and start getting recruits from all over the country and turn Colorado into a splashy, sexy landing spot for top recruits, which I think he can do. Utah yes. needs to continue to be the model of toughness, physicality, and consistency within the conference. Yep. Stanford needs to get their act together the way it was in the, the higher points of David Shaw's tenure there. Those are the things that need to happen for that program to not fall off into the Pacific Ocean of college football but, and to stay relevant. But the, the one big thing is they've got to get a TV deal that keeps them relevant monetarily. The a la carte system for them is not going to work out long term. They're going to end up losing these programs that you're mentioning. I'm a little surprised that the Big Ten doesn't just go ahead and pounce on Oregon and Washington, but it feels like to me they, they're not getting an invite. So they're having to make the best of what's available, and that is staying in the Pac-12. Yeah. I mean, Because now the, the only reports you see are those Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah maybe being an option for the Big 12. Which isn't, which is fine, but not nearly as desirable as the Big Ten coming to call. I was scrolling or the SEC. Uh, on three had the rankings for the top ten value for NIL in college football. Dion's already got two of those guys on the roster, and there was like a third that was in like fifteenth or sixteenth in, the, in their rankings. That's only going to continue to climb. It, it's going to be remarkable. a complete transformation from a talent standpoint. And now you know he's got to win, and he's claiming he's going to. And I, I mean. From what he did to where he is and what, where he chose to go, I'm hoping he does. And so is the Pac-12. They desperately they need, need it. But so I does laid the out Big the 12. blueprent for what they need so to stay the, relevant. So and does that's the what Big they 12. Need. They need Colorado too. Think about Colorado joining with Dion and what he's doing to compare to the importance of the Pac-12 keeping them and the relevance of what that would mean. There was always Massive. a path for Big 12 and Pac-12 to merge and form this super conglomerate that would compete, that could compete with the Big Ten and the SEC. Yeah. But now that's gone out the window because the Pac-12 can't get a media rights deal done. So it's no longer a merger. It's an acquisition. And it's the Big 12 acquiring whoever they want in the Pac-12. That is now the bigger... That is a bigger problem. Not bigger, but on par with the problem of not securing a media rights deal for the Pac-12 is the fact that because they're not... They're now susceptible to those four schools we mentioned, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, possibly moving east and going yeah. into the Big 12 and the Big 12 conquering that part of your conference, which would be an enormous blow to the Pac-12 if that happened. Chad, there's a new coach at Towson and he's not tolerating cursing. I haven't seen something like this since like we referenced freshman year football in high school, something where that Towson head coach, his name is Pete Shanick. He's not going to tolerate cussing during practice. Um, he wants a family atmosphere. He says, we want to have kids out here, different age groups come out and just be able to enjoy the process and make it work. Number two, I think if you can discipline your tongue, you can discipline any aspect of your body. 
that from the new head coach at Towson. This was something that happened back in the late 90s, early 2000s at Vanderbilt with Bobby Johnson. I remember that he had a like a fine system or a punishment. Yeah. If you were caught cussing on the team, he was he was big against that. To each his own. I mean, well, this, I, I this thought- doesn't feel like the most important thing to me for a football program yeah. or development, but to each his own. I mean, you talk about going back to high school. In middle school and high school, we didn't cuss around our coach. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. just something you just wouldn't do, right? I mean, that's you know, there were guys that would, but for the most part, if you were raised a certain way, you just didn't do it because they're a teacher. You don't want to cuss around your teachers or well, cuss at your, your coach, coach or your was. teachers. There were some coaches that would let you. If Well, the coach is constantly cussing at you. Yeah. Maybe it slips out when you're cussing back at I mean, them not or explaining or something. You know, but it would be considered uh, yeah. something that we wouldn't say at school, right? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a varsity blues type atmosphere yeah. at my school. You I, know, I love we were just my going coach, right back way. after the coach. Shout out Heath Woods, but I didn't have Coach Shanick um, lecture me on that. But, but also, like to your point, like we weren't doing that. I can't think of a college program that has been able to pull this off. And I immediately thought of, uh, can you imagine the games? What the games must be like, where you have the polite. I, I don't think there's any you have way polite Towson, and then the trash talk from the opponent. I don't think there's any way to get. I don't know what the scholarship limit is at Towson's level, but if it's 80 guys, 60 guys, whatever your roster is, to get 60 guys to never cuss over the course of a game, regardless of what's happening in action, is probably impossible. Well, for now, he's just limiting the the story, says, to practice. But my guess is if he doesn't want it in practice, he doesn't want it in games. I think those guys are going to be going nuts during the games. Now now we can cuss now? Let's go. Now, yeah, think about it from the college and pro coaches and how they sling around all kinds of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. But they're, Officials. Not, they're, Officials. Not issuing, they're not issuing cussing bans, though, is the difference. The coaches who oh, do the that. coaches can't do it? No, I know that. But I'm saying, do you think the Towson coaches can't cuss and how much that must be difficult for them? I think that probably <laughs> this guy, if a head coach is willing to issue a cussing ban, oh, he's probably not a big cusser. Yeah. But, so he's probably hiring guys that aren't also. Well, I'd say they're pretty clean cut. I think that would be tough to find too. Yeah, maybe tougher than the they're. Players. They're hiring Matty Ice over here. You know, that's their entire <laughs> staff. Is Matty Ice now polite and just kind and yeah, you know, buttoned up? Matty is. That's their entire staff. Never saying a cuss word. And recruiting guys like we Albany's try to get Matt to cuss every break. And trying to break him from the, do it. from the habit, the bad habits of you know young adulthood. I remember Ryan. in junior high there was a guy that was on my basketball team and baseball team who during lunch would always just tell me cuss words to say because he thought it was so funny coming out of my mouth. To hear you. Because to him, I was just this like lily white accountant looking dude. So every time I cussed was the funniest thing in the world. So he would just team me up. Chad, say this four letter word. And I would just say it normally and he would crack up every time. Shout out Charles Shannon, who would do that every time in, uh, in middle school lunch. What a name. Heck of a player, our high school quarterback and uh, shortstop. Sounds like a quarterback. Charles Shannon. Sounds like a Friday Night Lights character. Heck of an athlete. Uh, So is Austin Eckler. He has 38 touchdowns over the last two seasons. Second place, 26 over the last two seasons. No one comes close to his production and putting points on the scoreboard. He wants a raise. He wants a bump in his contract. Uh, He's currently playing under a four-year contract. $24.5 million extension that he signed back during the 2020 season. And right now, he's going to make around $9 million, according to Spotrack. 
just in yearly cash for 2023, and he wants more than that uh, for no at 6.2 is what he's going to make in cash this season. I don't blame him for wanting the bump. He's asking him for it at the right time prior to the draft. So if you want to move him, he can be moved and get an extension and a big payday. And he can also do it before they pay their quarterback. But the problem is they're going to pay their quarterback this offseason. And then things get crazy with the cap for other positions. But he really is their one guy that you can count on for consistency offensively. I'm not trading that guy. No. I mean, it's I understand him wanting a bump in pay because of how he's used, but he is an integral part of everything they do offensively with the Chargers. It's a 6.2 base and a cap hit of a little over seven, but the annual cash is going to be what the base cap is, and this will continue. He says playing for the Chargers in the current contract is the worst-case scenario. Of course it is. But to me, that tells me he wants to work something out there if that's the worst-case scenario. Is playing under the current contract. Jordan Spieth falling apart on the back nine, just hitting the water on 12. He's down to three mm-hmm. under. He's going to be probably back to one under maybe based on his approach shot after the drop on this one. So tough times for Jordan Spieth at Augusta National right now. Dan Z is next. We will dive into the NFL draft. We'll hit the top prospects and a position group to just stay away from annually. That's next on Hot Mike. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network, streaming live at Outkick.com and on YouTube. We hope you're subscribed to the channel there. We start every day at 3 o'clock Eastern. Dan Z joins us from Outkick.com, the latest mock draft available there. You can read his work. Always great. Dan, great to have you back on, man. Hope things are well. Hey, thanks, guys. Taking a little break from watching the Masters to hop on with my guys. Love it. Hey, uh, that's a quite the sacrifice, Dan. So we appreciate yeah. that. It is uh, the first day of the Masters, yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I, we've been paying attention to the Masters yeah. today as well. So we appreciate that that level of commitment from you. Chad's worried about Spieth in the uh, the back here, or the the second. Got nine. a little money on Spieth. Not going to lie, a bit of a long shot coming in, and I uh, was getting really excited when he was at four under. But now, dude's just chucking it into the water <laughs> on the back nine and not looking as good for me. So the I went on Fox Weather. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I, I went on Fox Weather this morning and gave out John Rahm as my pick to win the tournament. First thing he does is four putts one, and I'm like, <laughs> oh god, what did I do? And looking pretty good now, though. Yeah. Hey, so good, good listen, call. A lot of golf left to play. A lot of golf left to play. So odds went up for C.J. Stroud today. It went, and it was a, a significant jump. What happened specifically today that you think led to C.J. Stroud? gaining momentum for the number one overall pick to Carolina? Uh, Bryce Young's odds shortened. Um, There's reports now out there that Carolina likes Bryce Young a lot. Uh, At one point, C.J. Stroud was actually minus 350, I believe, to be the number one pick. And now it's down to minus 165 for Stroud, plus 125 for Bryce Young. 
I don't know, guys. I never know how much to read into this stuff. Teams this time of year are always engaging in subterfuge. They're not going to let anyone know what they're thinking before they have to. So it's kind of tough to parse through. All right. Is this a legitimate odds movement? Is it just are the odds just reacting to reports? Are the odds reacting to people now rushing to bet Bryce Young? I'm betting there's a little bit of that where you hear a report that Bryce, you know, Carolina likes Bryce Young and he's sitting there at plus 200, plus 225. And you're like, well, heck, if I can get two to one on Bryce Young, who the pundits are telling me that's their guy, like, why wouldn't I take that? So I'm not sure how much I buy into it. I still think Carolina is going to ultimately go with Stroud because he's just so much more prototypical and safer. And uh, I think that's the way... I would still lean today. So I love what you do with your mock draft, Dan, because you just got the trades galore, crazy things happening. When you can really dig into the speculation, I like that. When we do a mock draft, we just kind of go with the, well, we're just going to go with the picks as they are right now. But you know that's not going to be the case. Come draft night, all reports, everything is indicating that someone's going to trade up to three with the Cardinals to draft Anthony Richardson. You have the Las Vegas Raiders as that team. Why? Well, it's the old joke, right? Who ran the fastest 40 at the combine? Because that's who the Raiders are going to draft. And Anthony Richardson checks all of those boxes, except as a quarterback. Normally, we're talking about uh, wide receivers. But in this case, I think the Raiders, I think, you know, the Davis family historically falls in love with guys who perform well at the combine and show everything athletically. So I I think he makes a lot of sense for the Raiders there uh, with Derek Cargon, especially I find the odds for Richardson fascinating because I was just looking and I, and I check them all the time, but Richardson is actually favored on DraftKings to go third and he's also favored to go fourth and he's minus money for both spots. Well, he can't go in both spots. So there's definitely some value out there on which one you think he's going to go. I am with you guys. I think someone trades up to three for him right now. I, I think that's the Raiders and I, I think that makes probably the most sense right now. And uh, the Arizona makes out well with that because they don't have to fall back all that far and still draft in the top 10. And I mean, maybe they end up with one of the top pass rushers in this draft. Yeah, that seems likely. Um, There are a lot of guys I like it. And the Cardinals will be in that spot where, you know, it's possible Jalen Carter is there. And, you know, what do we do with them? Are are the Cardinals one of those teams that have – taken Jalen Carter off their draft board as we keep hearing, or is, is that a spot where they can trade down from three and get the player they liked all along? Cause if you like someone like Will Anderson, you can't trade from three to seven. I don't think Will Anderson's sticking around um, until seven. So if the Cardinals do pull the trigger on that trade, it might indicate that they think they can still get one of their guys, which I still think the reservations on Jalen Carter are legit. I think the red flags are there's way too many adding up. Um, seven is too high to take him. I love Tyree Wilson. I'm a huge fan. That's why I have the Cardinals sliding back and taking. He's super experienced. Uh, he turns 23 in May because he spent five seasons in college, which is actually very rare in today's day and age uh, at the top of the draft, especially. So he's very polished. He's a player that the Cardinals would probably love to have on a, on a young, struggling defense. Dan, is it more about Jalen Carter and what he did or maybe didn't do at the pro day or he couldn't finish certain drills or whatever versus what happened at the combine? It's everything, guys. It's everything. You know, it's like we could forgive the pro day. We could forgive the racing. We could forgive the character concerns. But when you start putting all of them on top of one another, one after the other, at some point, 
you've got to go, look, there's just too many red flags here. And especially at the pro day, because the one thing you couldn't take away from this guy, whether it was, you know, you could put the character concerns, you got the legal issues, you got all that, but this dude is a freak. He is a physical specimen. Then he shows up at his pro day and looks out of shape. It's like, well, wait a minute. The one thing we thought we could count on with this guy, we can't count on. How can we count on anything? I'm way more uh, discouraged by the out of shape part of it. I think than anything else right now. And not to, you know, undermine or belittle what happened with a very serious situation uh, in Athens. You're but looking I, at it from the league perspective. Yeah, from a, from a, if I'm a GM, I'm more concerned about him showing up out of shape. But I look at where you have him going ninth to the Bears after that trade back with the Panthers, Dan, and I think, what a great offseason so far for the Bears. If arguably, you know, a guy with without some of these red flags might be the best defensive player in this draft, falls to you at nine after trading back, that's not a bad deal for Chicago. I'm torn. I'm t- like, I agree with you. And I think that's how GMs think. I think at a certain point, the slide stops because there's just too much overall talent. However, I really think there are a lot of problems with bringing this guy in. Um, again, my mocks are always about what I think the team will do, not necessarily what I would do. I would be hesitant taking this guy in the top 10, despite the fact that he's out there being like, I'm not talking to anyone outside the top 10. I would have problems with everything that's been piling up. But yeah, like you just said, with the Bears, I mean, that's how I would spin it to my fan base. I mean, we traded out of the top pick, which, you know, for all intents, that's kind of a disappointment to a fan base. You want to pick number one. But if you could sell it as, but we also got the best player in the draft, that looks pretty good for a GM on paper. I just have questions if that paper is really going to translate, especially once Jalen Carter gets that paper. Dan Z with us on Hot Mike uh, going through the mock draft and leading up to the NFL draft with all the news and notes. So Houston actually has two first rounders, not just number two overall, but they also have the Cleveland Browns first round pick this year in exchange for Deshaun Watson. Are they going to pair a wide receiver which, uh, with whichever quarterback they end up with at second overall, most likely Bryce Young? Yeah, I, I love this idea of Houston taking a quarterback and then taking a wide receiver. And in, in my first couple iterations, I had thought that that quarterback would be C.J. Stroud um, until we started kind of seeing how things played out. And it, it looks now, at least from where I'm sitting, like it's going to be Bryce Young, because I love the idea of them taking Stroud and then his teammate, Jackson Smith and Jigbo. But I still think they're going to take him. Uh, if he's there at 12, which I believe he's the best wide receiver in the draft. And I think the needs of the teams ahead of them uh, are going to push him down to that spot. So yes, I, I like the Texans to basically just re overhaul their entire offense in two picks, Bryce young at two Smith and Jigba at 12. Who did you have with the biggest reach in your mock draft? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think what, Some people might say is the Patriots taking Brian branch at 14. Uh, This is a guy I personally really like a lot. He reminds me uh, uh, quite a bit of Minka Fitzpatrick. And I think he's a guy that the Patriots really, really would like. Everyone talked about them in free agency going out and getting Jesse Bates, who was a free agent from the Bengals. And they didn't because, you know, Bates is a Belichick guy. He's a guy who can run a defense. I think the reason they didn't is because Belichick knows he can get a cheaper version at number 14 by taking Brian Branch. So I think some are going to look at that as a potential reach if that's what ends up happening. I don't, though. I love the value at 14. So I love what you've done with the top two running backs in this draft and their destination. John Robinson of Texas going to the Eagles 
And I really like the idea of Jameer Gibbs from Alabama in Detroit, where I think Detroit's building a really solid foundation for the future. What was the thinking behind both those guys in those spots to those two teams? So I just want to say uh, I published my most recent mock draft last week. I was ahead of all this Bijan to the Eagles talk. I feel like people stole that from me. That was my idea, and everyone started saying it. No, I'm kidding. Hey, by the way, if you don't Um, say it, no one else will. So say it, Dan. We're all about self-promotion on this show because if you're not going to say it, people aren't going to be tripping over themselves to promote you. So absolutely say it on this show. And well done, by the way, on being ahead of the curve on Bijan Robinson. Good job. Great job. There are all these stories coming out this week. All of a sudden, the Eagles are, you know, they might take B. They're not afraid to take Bijan. They like him a lot. I'm like, yeah, I know. I said that a week ago. Should have read my mock draft. Anyway, um, the way I look at running backs is the teams that are going to take a running back early, especially in the first round in today's NFL, are teams that are drafting from a position of strength. Um, Because running back's really a luxury item in today's NFL. You don't need to have a great running back to be successful. They're nice to have. And if you have a guy like a Bijan Robinson, like a Jameer Gibbs, who can stretch the field, catch passes, it's awesome. So the two teams that I have them going to are teams that are drafting from a position of strength. It's no surprise that the Eagles would be in that camp. I mean, they just went to the Super Bowl. And what might surprise people is that I'm saying that about the Detroit Lions. But if you look at this Lions roster, they went out and filled a lot of the holes. Every previous iteration of the mock draft, I had them going secondary. They needed to overhaul that secondary. And their defense was terrible last year. But they did it in free agency. So now they're kind of in a position where they can draft from a bit of strength. And that's where, you know, getting someone like Jameer Gibbs, again, it might seem like a bit of a reach taking a running back that high. But He's a guy who can open up the field. They have some other playmakers like Amon Ra on the outside. I love the fit for both of those guys, to be honest with you. And I think both are excellent players that would, if these guys were in the draft, you know, 10 years ago, when, when teams actually liked running backs, these are potential top five picks. I wonder too, if, uh, if quarterback is a sneaky destination for, uh, for Detroit, they've got Nate Sudfeld as their backup. And you mentioned position of power. They've got Goff, who can certainly play for them this year, and they can they can actually reach on a guy based on where they're drafted to, I'm saying like Levis, maybe Hendon Hooker, uh, to actually bridge the gap between Goff and the next guy, whenever that may be. So what I would say to that is, I think the Lions view themselves as a legitimate contender. And I think drafting a quarterback, although it's nice, is pretty much a waste of a pick for next season. That's not going to be your starter next season. I think this is a team that showed you in free agency that they want to win and they want to win now. So they want to get a player who can help them. That's another reason to go running back. That's not a guy that's going to have to really learn a system per se. Running backs can fit in much more quickly, much more easily. I think it's a win now pick. And that's what I think the lions will air towards. I don't, I don't hate the idea except, you know, it's kind of like when the Packers took Jordan love and Aaron Rodgers like, Hey, I thought we were trying to win. You're taking a guy who's not going to play. What are we doing? And Jamal Williams is now in New Orleans, I believe. So running back makes sense. And the type of back that they would be wanting is someone that could pair well with what they have in the backfield currently, Chad. Yeah, no doubt. And um, Hendon Hooker, it feels now like, Dan, it's going to be a big surprise if he's not a first-round pick. You've got, and, and likely maybe a late first round, someone trading back up or coming up to get him in that first round. You've got him going to the Rams with Hendon Hooker going all these trips all over the place to meet with teams. What do you like about that pairing with the Rams right now? 
I think the Rams make a ton of sense. Um, Hendon Hooker's not a guy that I would want to draft and feel like I needed to start week one this season. Rams don't have to do that. They've got Matthew Stafford. Now, you might say, well, you just said the Lions are in win-now mode. Why aren't the Rams in win-now mode? Well, the Rams kind of gave up everything to go win that Super Bowl last season, and they did, so good for them. But they traded Jalen Ramsey. Aaron Donald has had questions about whether he's going to play. Stafford, it's his last season. McVay, one foot out. Like, I'm not sure that that team is really built to compete next season. And so, for me, them being able to take Hendon Hooker especially in the first round. And I think that's important guys. So the Rams, they pick sixth in the second round. So I have them trading up to 28 to take Hendon Hooker. And I think it's important to take him in the first round so that you can open that fifth year option, which essentially gives you five years of control to evaluate Hendon Hooker, see if he's the guy he gets to learn behind Matthew Stafford. Obviously that's a great place for him to learn. He gets to learn behind Sean McVay. I think this is actually Hendon Hooker's dream scenario. Will it happen? Who knows? But I think if if it does happen and I'm Hendon Hooker, I am ecstatic, especially watching what the other quarterbacks could be dealing with, whether, you know, you're going to Carolina or Houston. You know, those are teams that have struggled for years and you're being looked at immediately as the guy who has to turn this ship around. But if you go to L.A., they just won a Super Bowl. They've got a head coach who's among the best in the league. You've got a quarterback you can learn from. If I'm Hendon Hooker, I am hoping and praying the Rams take me in the in the back end of the first round, or even if they stay um, in the top part of the second round. But I think it behooves them to trade up a little bit and get them. Right now, would you say over, under four and a half QBs? If you've got Hendon Hooker being, uh, going to L.A., I'm guessing over. But where do you have Levis? I have Levis at four. I can't believe you guys didn't bring this up. I have Levis at four to the Baltimore Ravens. And I have that because I ultimately think Lamar Jackson is a Colt. Based on the first round pick they would get this year, plus whatever they could negotiate for Lamar. Um, and that's interesting because the Colts worked out Levis privately this morning. It's, it's crazy, Dan. I, uh, I, wa- I wanted to get to this with you, reading your mock for this reason. I think the assumption would be whoever trades up to get Richardson at three that the Colts are the big loser in this draft because they desperately need a quarterback and they missed out on the top three. But with this scenario, in an odd way, the Colts end up with the best quarterback on draft night of all these teams that are drafting, right? With a former MVP and Lamar Jackson. So it could be the Colts as the big winners as if this happens. It's something I've written about. It seems like there's a big divide in Indianapolis between the owner and the GM. Because if I'm the GM, I want Lamar Jackson. There's no question about it. My job's on the line. This team has struggled. My team is better next season with Lamar Jackson. Almost certainly a playoff team if he stays healthy. So I think Ballard wants Lamar Jackson. Now, Ursay keeps going on record. He doesn't want to give up the draft picks. He doesn't want to give Lamar a guaranteed contract. I don't think the guaranteed contract is really much of a sticking point at at this point because everyone just goes, oh, Lamar has to have a guaranteed contract. Well, no one's offering him that because if someone offered him that, he'd have already taken it. We'd be done with this. So I don't even think that's on the table. So I don't think Ursa is going to have to give a guaranteed deal that he doesn't want to give. And I heard Drew Rosenhaus talking the other day, and he said Ballard makes the decisions over there. Um, As much as Ursa is blustery in the media. He, for the most part, leaves Ballard to make the decisions. Ultimately, I think Lamar Jackson is a much better option as a GM than sitting at four, waiting to see who drops, or even trading up to three and taking Anthony Richardson, which I think is a huge risk, um, especially for a GM fighting for his job. So for me, it makes the most sense that the Colts ultimately 
will pull the trigger on Lamar Jackson. They're definitely going to have to give up number four, which I would be happy to do. They might be able to negotiate out of giving a, up a, a one next season. If Lamar really convinces the Ravens, I'm not playing for you guys. That's all the inner workings that we'll have to see how it plays out. But right now that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning. And I mean, the, I mean, also will Levis to Baltimore to me sounds awful. Uh, they've got Huntley backing him up uh, Lamar right now. Uh, that's very system driven offense. They don't have wide receivers. Uh, they've traded those away. They've loaded up on tight end. Uh, to me, that's that's not conducive to what Will Levis will be walking into. I mean, you mentioned L.A. He's played for the last two offensive coordinators of the Los Angeles Rams in Kentucky. So I don't know why, like, that, to me, that, that's also a headline in this, is L.A.'s not interested at all in Will Levis based on the scout that they have for the last two seasons. Well, how's L.A. going to get Will Levis, though? If he's a projected top 10 pick, L.A.'s not getting into the top 10 here. So they could be just looking, not looking at him because they know it's well, cost prohibitive. They're but I, I, see, I think the NFL draft is very, very cyclical. We started all of this conversation about Bryce Young being the top quarterback in the draft. Then Houston went for two, and now they have the second overall pick, but it's still Bryce Young number two, not number one, because Carolina trades up. And is it Quentin Richardson, who's a freak athlete? Is it C.J. Stroud, who's a safe pick? And Will Levis, all along, everyone but Mel Kuyper would see their own eyes. He's not consistent enough, and he didn't win enough at Kentucky, based on the expectation coming back last year, to actually be the top overall pick in the NFL draft. I think he's going to be drafted about where I expected to be back in November, which is middle of the first round. I think he's a first-round pick. I don't have to draft him four overall if I want him in the first round. And, and Indy, in essence, could trade back and still get him. You could get Baltimore to trade with Indy and get Lamar, and you could trade back and get Hendon Hooker, who fits Baltimore way better than Will Levis. I don't think I draft Will Levis just because he's the fourth-best quarterback, according to all the mocks. Those are all very fair points. I don't disagree with you. And, and, and the Rams, to me, the Rams are a great case for him because he's played for the last two OCs, and I haven't heard anything about L.A. And they're worried about Stafford's health. They've got, they've got issues, that, and I haven't heard anything about Will Levis going back to uh, I, the, the organization that sent his offensive coordinators to Kentucky. I do like the idea of whoever it is for the Rams if they go quarterback, that being a great spot for that quarterback. You've got to be in Hinden, Hinden Hooker, Dan. Um, I think that's an advantageous spot for someone that's going to have to sit because of the injury to start anyways, but to learn under McVay and that offense could be very advantageous for either one. And man, if, if Will Levis is the pick, let's just say Indy doesn't trade. If Will Levis is the pick for Indy, to me, that's a Ursay move and, and not Ballard, right? And it's very nice of Drew Rosenhaus to say something nice about the general manager he'll be negotiating with with his next big rookie, whoever that might be. I don't know that he was saying something nice. They just asked him straight out when you deal with the Colts, when you're talking, like, who do you, do you talk to Ursay? And he's like, no, I don't. I talk to Ballard when it comes to this stuff. Ballard's in charge of football decisions. Um, I thought what was interesting about the Rosenhaus thing is it sounded to me like it was his pitch to be Lamar's agent. Like, hey, man, you need an yeah. agent. Because that seems to be what's holding all this up here. So you don't have an agent. Um, but I also, I, you know, I don't hate the idea. You look at it and you go like, well, the Ravens have to overhaul their offense. Like John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. I think he actually would love the idea to have a more uh, prototypical quarterback back in the system. I don't think he's worried about that whatsoever. And if you really wanted to, you could run 
your Lamar Jackson offense next year with Tyler Huntley and have Will Levis sit for a year, which isn't a terrible way to go if you're Baltimore either. Could be crazy. There, there will be, there is always that surprise team, right? That moves in. Uh, you've got the trade happening with, uh, with LA, uh, Seattle. I wonder what they do They're at five, but they would need to move up to get ahead of Indy to guarantee the quarterback that they want. And then who knows, maybe Carolina shocks us all and takes the Cam Newton protege of Anthony Richardson, uh, who's being billed as Cam Newton 2.0. It's a big buildup and Dan will be back with us for the next mock. When is the final mock going to be released, Dan? I'm thinking it'll be the week of the draft, probably the Tuesday before the NFL okay. draft. I will put it all down on paper and say this is this is officially what I'm going with. That, OK, good. That's when we'll do ours, Chad. And then let's compare notes here based on what Dan has. Can we do a bunch of trades like Dan does? Yeah, we should. Really get in the weeds with it. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Also, well, guys, you, you got to understand is when you're the mock draft guy, you do five or six of these. Oh, yeah. I can't just keep picking the same team in the same yeah, right. spot. All no, time. No I get doubt. bored with my own mock draft. Absolutely. Hey, you'll eventually get it right. We talked with John McClain about exactly. this. He does like 11 mock drafts over the course of, and he's like, by the end, I've gotten almost all of them right. <laughs> you know, if you do enough of them, you're eventually going to get it right. Dan, we appreciate together. you, man. Thank you. Great work. Thank you. Yeah, there's uh, Dan Z. Outkick.com is where you can uh, read his uh, fantastic uh, work, including uh, all the mocks and the reasons for it. A great perspective after each pick as to why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, coming up, let's give a uh, final look to the Masters leaderboard, and we will uh, discuss the other headlines from across the NFL and beyond, and we'll get you into the sports evening. That's next on Hotline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your leaders remain the same right now at Augusta National through one. Victor Hovland, Brooks Kepka, and John Rahm at seven under, followed by Cam Smith, or excuse me, Cam Young. Cam Young is at five under, and then we see... Other Cam com- Young, American, Cam Smith, New Zealand. There you go. Uh, then we see uh, Jason Day, and as I look over here, we also have Sam Bennett. We open the show with him. He is the 2022 U.S. Amateur who won the 2022 championship for amateurs, and now he's qualified. He started the round today with a birdie and then an eagle back-to-back. And currently, he's at four under with, what, three holes to play, Chad? Yeah, he is now at five under. So Bennett just birdied, and he is now at five under par. And watch out for Scotty Scheffler, who is now getting hot. Birdie on 16, he is now at four under par with two to play, the defending champion. Jordan Spieth, he meanwhile. He wins everything, man. Crazy. Jordan Spieth had a seven on a par five and uh, has now dropped back to one under par for the day. Are you like me? I, I watch a handful of the coverage during the day. And then what I'll, what we're going through right now with the guys on the course, I'll be watching the replay tonight. The viewership there on the... The replay, yeah, when people get home from work. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Yeah, I like the... Um, there's a highlight package they'll do also. At times, it's like 10, 15 minutes long mm-hmm. at night. That's that's It's a good it also, tutorial of what happened for that day. It also depends on who's on the course. So you'll have all these leaders on the course late tomorrow. That will flip from the morning session uh, to the late afternoon. And here's hoping that the 
I mean, the rain's not going to hold off, but here's hoping they can get the tournament in in a decent fashion and not have to, you know, play the end of the second, you know, the end of the of day two starting on actual day three. We've seen that before. And what I hope doesn't happen is it bleeds over into Sunday, Easter Sunday with, you know, you've got guys finishing up rounds because of weather going into more weather. There's a good chance we see this on Monday. Yeah, I think it's headed that way right now. If the forecast holds, we're going to have some Masters final round on Monday. We will uh, be back tomorrow with all of the leaderboard updates from Augusta National. We will also be joined by uh, Moose Johnston, Daryl Moose Johnston, the new president of the USFL. Great conversation there as always. And Johnny Damon also on tomorrow's program. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern and every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern across the Outkick Network. Join us tomorrow for Hot Mike.